When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to episode two of Garibaldi Red. Uh, I'm Matt Davis, your host, and we should have been talking about yet another win, I guess, but this is Nottingham Forest and never goes to plan. So I'm joined by former Reds defender, a Reds legend, I suppose, Steve Chettle. Uh, to kind of look back on that game a little bit and talk about Steve's career and what he's up to now with Baseford United in management. So thanks for joining us, Steve. No problem. Um, I suppose after the Leeds game, everyone thought this was the year and then Forrest played so poorly against Charlton. Even though I know you didn't see the game, you kind of caught up on it. Do you still think this might be the year after 20 years of exile from the Premier League? Uh, I think success this year would be getting to the playoffs. I think automatic promotion is, is a big ask, but... When you're round about it and you have an opportunity to get into those automatic places, it's you know it does seem a bit disappointing. Obviously, the result last night after the Leeds game, but that's the Forest way. You, you go two steps forward, you have to take a step back. Can you understand, as a manager as well, how a team can be so good in one game and so poor in another? I know Forest made some changes in force and a couple otherwise. From a coaching point of view, can you understand how a group of players can underperform so much after playing so well uh, they're human beings for one uh, the euphoria of the game obviously leads on Saturday from doing so well uh, changes that the management's made and I think he's admitted that he possibly might have got it wrong last night uh, that's just you know that's just human beings that they can't perform that level all the time I think the ones that do perform that level all the time are the ones that are top of the Premier League as opposed to you know fighting for playoff place in the Championship mm. and because it's not even for us I guess we wouldn't be surprised if they went to West Brom and, and won now just the way well every, every chance like I said the Leeds game was huge they played really well uh, the spirit and the application of the workload was fantastic and they go to West Brom and hopefully the same result will happen a 2-0 win would be lovely it's been 20, well, 21 years now since it, the Reds played in the Premier League. You played in that team. Can you believe that it's you know a club of that stature has still been outside the Premier League for so long? Uh, no, but obviously you know the, the club went down to League One at one point as well, so that was a real low, and had to fight their way back to get to where they are today with you know some consistency and some stability, which is a is a massive focus for Forest at the moment. And you know having Sabri there as as a manager, hopefully will finish the season for the first time in for God knows how long. As a yeah. manager to start and finish the season, which yeah. is fantastic. If we go back, I mean, obviously you played. 400 odd games for the Red as a 14, 15 year old growing up in Nottingham could, you know, teenage Steve Chester imagine you'd have played that many games for the club? No, I didn't imagine playing one. <laughs> uh, you know, 14, 15 I'd signed schoolboy forms and was training with the first team at 15 going in on holidays with the team that, you know, would won European Cups which is a bit scary uh, but when you're around it at 16 and 17 years old being an apprentice uh, and then training with the first team and playing the reserves at 16 with you know, my boyhood era, John Robertson in the same team, you think, crikey, this this is exciting. Uh, made my debut at 18. Uh, and like I say, it was 400 plus league games and over 500 appearances. It's a, 
It's something I'm very, very proud of. Do you still recall that kind of first meeting, walking into the change room when there's John Robertson there, Gary Bertles is still there? We were, oh, we weren't allowed in that dressing room to start with. <laughs> we were in the, we was in the other dressing room. So they changed in the home team dressing room. Uh, we were in the away team dressing room. I was on tea duty for two years for the first team. That was my role with at the football club to make tea for the first team. Uh, and you know, people like Ian Bowyer, who was you know is a real strong figure in the dressing room. Uh, Gary Bertles was there Gary Mills you know these were people Paul Hart was there mm. these are real strong characters and you had to uh, you had to stand up for yourself and be strong yourself uh, but no it was really really character building no, I mean how tough was it being an apprentice you had to it's a different world now for you know Premier League clubs but cleaning boots doing all that kind of stuff was that a, a real graft as a kid it was but it was something I don't know whether it's just me but I really enjoyed my apprenticeship I enjoyed cleaning boots I enjoyed being tidy I enjoyed the workload of you know what it entailed. Uh, we were in first thing in the morning. We were the last ones to leave. We trained. I was you know I was playing football and I was getting paid. You know, it was my it was the first year of the YTS scheme. Yeah. So a, a grand total of twenty seven pound fifty in, <laughs> in for the first year. Uh, but like I say, it was it was really character building, and it, you know it stood me in good stead for the rest of my career. Do you remember your debut, crystal clear or not? I remember both debuts I had my first appearance was away at Chelsea uh, I think I played came on for Lee Glover and played right wing <laughs> and got told uh, as the basic instruction by uh, the gaffer to go and play right wing like a centre back <laughs> uh, which is uh, you know, simplicity shall we say uh, but my my first start was the day before my 19th birthday away at Norwich mm. and Gary Fleming uh, wasn't fit to play and I played right back uh, for that game and played right back for six months after that as well which was a bit of an alien position for me being very very predominantly left-sided but mm. uh, like I say it was really good and uh, it was the start of a you know a really good career Was there a point where you thought right this is me now for my career I made it or does that is there no kind of light bulb moment like that it just kind No of not really I think every year the start of the season new people came in uh, to play because I was predominantly obviously a centre-back new people came in every year to play in that position you know it was always one of those where you had to scrap and fight for your place which I did do and obviously managers picked me uh, which was a you know a big plus for myself but every year was the same even when you know Brian left and Frank came in it was the same position again I had to fight for my place went to a pre-season with Frank not knowing too much about me and I had to fight for my place again even though I've been in the team for five years Everyone's got their kind of Brian Clough stories. I mean, what was he like to work with day to day? Did that aura ever kind of wear off as you'd been around him for a few years? No, or not? no, not at all. No, obviously, he was a, you know, he's a, he's a legend, a court hero, whatever you want to call him, an icon at, at Nottingham Forest. And he always will be, and, and rightly so. But uh, no, you, uh, you were never really settled with him. Mm. Uh, if you thought that he thought you were getting a bit above your station he'd come down like a ton of bricks and if you thought you were having a rough time he'd, he'd make you feel a whole lot better about yourself so pre-psychologists and everything else and Brian Clough did the whole thing he, he was the complete uh, manager psychologist mentor father figure whatever you wanted to call him what was it like when the ton of bricks came down then uh, yeah, it was tough. They, were, they weren't really uh, that often. Mm. You know, we, we were in a really quiet dressing room which was really... Uh, low key you know he kept everything very simple but you knew when the gaff wasn't wasn't pleased uh, he didn't forget anything and he could bring things up six months later that happened uh, and he remembered literally remembered everything so yeah they were few and far between but they yeah you you did listen obviously how different was he to the other managers you worked with uh, just in terms of how he dealt with players was it really that different or not uh, no he just dealt with people as people you know everybody he spoke to as individuals and knew everybody from 
back to front, inside out. That's how good he was at his job. Uh, but obviously, when you work with other people, other people have other strengths as well. Uh, but obviously, my uh, first impression of a manager was Brian Clough. Yeah, and people always want to speak about him, for, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, and it, yeah, it was one of those surreal moments, really, having him as your first manager. What was it like? Do you remember meeting him for the first time and how, you, I guess, you were nervous? Very nervous. We met him in the, the old uh, trophy room, and myself and Phil Stahl, but we were just about to sign our uh, apprenticeship forms. And Brian always liked to joke, and he, he said, Oh, lads, all right, lads, how are you? Have you stole anything yet? And I obviously said no, because I was a bit petrified. And Phil, Phil wisely or not, said, yeah, I've took an ashtray already. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it, it was petrifying. But when you first walk in there every day, you used to hear the dog coming. Dell used to go down the corridor, so you used to hide in the boot room because you knew you had to walk the dog if the gaffer found you. Uh, but no, they were really good days. Um, what was it like in that time? I mean, there's a few different Forest teams you played for. I mean, you, you came close to winning quite a few things you know you played in Europe yep. I mean, how good was it to be at the club around that time well there was kind of two eras that I played in you know we played in uh, the late 80s where we were at League Cup finals uh, the massive ZDS trophy in the Simod Cup uh, we won the Mercantile Credit Classic the, you know the League Centenary Trophy uh, and we lost in the FA Cup final uh, you know the downsides of that were obviously the relegation when Brian retired and then the you know the next wave was really was when Frank came in. Uh, mm -hmm. Frank came in and had a lot to do. Uh, the game had changed. The Premier League had started. Uh, Frank made some really good signings, uh, and we you know we finished third in the league, which was which was madness, mm -hmm. and qualified for the UEFA Cup, you know the old Europa Cup now. So yeah, that was a, that was a really changing of the guard, but it was really really good and really really a lot of fun. The UEFA Cup, uh, the, yeah, we even the UEFA Cup ties. You scored in the UEFA Cup games. I should have researched this, but you scored in the UEFA Cup, didn't you? Yeah, I, I scored away at Bayern Munich. That was it, yeah. Yeah, we were, we were 1-0 down. We got back to 1-1. We lost the tie 2-1, and obviously mm -hmm. they were two legs. And we really fancied our chances of getting back to the city ground. You know, we'd beaten everybody at the city ground, or not been beaten, shall we say, at the city ground in the in the campaign. Um, we started the game really well. I think we've had a goal disallowed uh, from Colin. Cooper uh, and then they can they scored just before half time and went chasing the game and they absolutely picked us to pieces and battered us 5-1 at home <laughs> <laughs> what was it like playing in Germany in a stadium like that and against it was the Olympic Stadium where yeah. Trevor Francis scored the winning goal against Malmo mm -hmm. and I'd scored in the same end as Trevor Francis you know on the same pitch and it's something that no, I'm really, really proud of. Even though we lost the game, it's something that people want to talk about and I'm quite happy talking about it because I didn't score many goals anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was a bit of a surreal moment again. Mm -hmm. That was a great team to be fair, wasn't it? Because that was coming off the back of finishing third in the Premier League, yep. wasn't it? With Stan and Brian Roy. I mean, that was a, a kind of a special side at a special time. Yeah, well, there was, you know, uh, we had Brian, obviously, that he'd signed, who played in the World Cup mm -hmm. uh, for Holland. Uh, Woney was still there Stoney was there Stewart uh, Colin Cooper was there Alfinger Haaland and it was a really really good team uh, we did really well to finish third in the league we won away at Manchester United that year as well yeah. when they were a fantastic team uh, yeah it was, it was a really really big achievement Did you kind of look at some of the goals that Colin Moore scored and you know the combination he had with Roy and think oh, unbelievable just It was, it it was crazy you know just, I've said before who's the best player you've played with at Forest and you know people obviously associate Forest with some fantastic players like Stuart and Des that I've played with but Stan by far is the best player that I've played with at, at Forest he could have been 
what I class as the English equivalent of the original Ronaldo. Mm. You know, the goal he scored against Wimbledon at home, the goal he scored against Manchester United on the TV, you know, the first game I think it was when the, the ground was renovated, were unbelievable. Mm. Uh, and he just could do something spectacular out of nothing and an absolutely magnificent footballer. What was it? I mean, you must have been gutted when he left then. Obviously... You know, going to Liverpool is an opportunity you probably wouldn't have turned down yourself, I guess. But it must have been tough when you lose some of those players from that team and try and rebuild again. Yeah, it obviously is. You know, after that, you know, the next wave of the next great striker was Pierre Van Oudonk arrived yeah. as well. So we've played with some really, really good strikers. But you know, it's something that Stan couldn't really turn down. Going to Liverpool, fantastic football club, and uh, you know, but Stan's career finished early in my, in my opinion. What was Van Hooydonk like to play alongside us? There's the whole strike thing, but I remember watching him scoring some fantastic free kicks, fantastic Yeah, again, you know, he, play. he played up front with Kevin. You know, we got promoted out of the championship with Dave Bassett and Pierre was at the forefront of that with Kevin himself, scored some unbelievable goals, especially free kicks. Uh, and he was a really good footballer. You know, what he did was personal. Mm. Uh, when he was promised things by the board that we were going to invest in the club and people are sold and they didn't. And in, in his eyes, he thought it was the right thing to do by going on strike. I don't think it's the right thing to do personally. Uh, I had a phone call from him saying he wanted to come back and apologise to the players because he wanted to come back and play. So we had to face the wrath of people like Woney and Stoney when they questioned, you know, what was you thinking about your actions? Uh, but no, he's a really good footballer, you know, and he has to live by the decision he made by doing what he did. When you have kind of players who are touched by genius, like some of those players were... They kind of come with a bit of baggage, I guess, don't they? Is that you have to accommodate them in a dressing room? Do you? Yeah, you, you you have to put up with certain traits that you don't, you know, you wouldn't really like in other people. But that's a football. You're not going to get along with twenty people in any walk of life, or you work with somebody in the office that you don't generally get on with all the time. But they're teammates, and you have to work along to get, you know, the best work ethic and the best results you can. Mm. What was that season like at the end of the Premier League? Did it feel a bit doomed when you know Kevin sold in that summer and? Things happen, you know, you don't really have the side you want going into the Premier League, I guess. No, we, well, we, it, it, the two times when we got really out of the Premier League, it, it was a bit strange because we'd won the first game of the season. Yeah. And, uh, and Mark Crossley, in his wisdom, said, lads, I fancy this year. <laughs> and two, two years on the balance when he said that, we got relegated. So we just told Norm to just keep quiet after that. But we, we weren't really ready for uh, the last year, you know, when Brian was there. And then obviously we weren't really ready for the other year when we got relegated also. Mm-hmm. When, and then in that last year, Ron Atkinson comes in and yeah. what, what was it, that like? It was, it was a bit topsy-turvy. The whole yeah. year was a bit of a mess, really. Uh, and Ron came in, obviously had a great track record to try and firefight, you know, what was you know, maybe the inevitable, really. Mm. Uh, it was interesting, shall we say. Frank, uh, Frank Ron had his own ways of doing things. He enjoyed playing a five-a-side, even though he was in his... Uh, Oh, he played still. He played still on, on the left wing. Yeah, right. played on the left wing in five sides and obviously thought he was the best player and yeah. he had his own way of doing things, but you know, they didn't work for us, shall we say? No. <laughs> if we go back to the kind of the better days, I suppose, was that 91 FA Cup final, does that still st- stick with you? Because the way it panned out on the day, I think sort of everything went against you in a sense, didn't it, with Gaza and the own goal and all that yeah, kind of I stuff? Yeah, I think if, if Gaza would have stayed on the pitch, I think we would have won. Uh, but if the referee would have done 
what he should have done. Gazza should have got sent off anyway. Mm. The first two challenges were way beyond reckless. You know, he's nearly taking Gary Parker's chest off with a straight leg. And he's, he's nearly taking, well, he's taking his own knee out and Gary Charles' knee, you know, where Stuart scores him a free kick. But Norm saves a penalty and you think, wow, this this is our year. Mm. You know, especially for Brian, who hadn't won the FA Cup. Uh, but now we we conceded, obviously, from Paul Stewart and then uh, Des scores the own goal, uh, which makes us lose the FA Cup final. But it's something I don't really remember too much about. You get caught up in the whole euphoria of the FA Cup. Mm. Uh, and I've never really watched the game back. I've seen the goals on, you know, on various platforms uh, but it's something I don't remember too much about it just really was a really disappointing day for us Is that because it's too painful to watch back you just don't want to see it? No or? I've just haven't got around to watching it <laughs> <laughs> When you lined up in the tunnel before the game does, do people look over at Gaza and think yeah, yeah he was he's, he's wired he was, yeah, he was absolutely I, I played 21s with Gaza yeah. in Toulon and I knew what he was like as a person and he's, he's beyond excitable mm. uh, and obviously he's had his demons as well uh, but it was wild. It was yeah. bouncing off the walls in the tunnel. And he was one of these people who go around, if you weren't in his kind of world, he'd try and make you in his world by punching you and getting you excited and shouting, come on in your face. But <laughs> not everybody responds to stuff no. like that. And we just left him to it. Yeah. But he was exactly the same in the tunnel at Wembley. And, you know, it showed he was a tad excitable for the first 10 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Did you think something's going on here? He's going to do something? No, he was just normal. Yeah, oh, that's how he you know, always yeah, was. Yeah, he was like that. He'd probably do that one week and be a genius like yeah. he could be on the pitch. But that that's just his character mm. how did that hurt the team going into the next season do you think was I it don't a- know whether it was a bit of a hangover or not uh, like I say it all seemed a long time ago Matt now yeah. and you try and recall all these various parts of your footballing career which lasted obviously 14 years at Forest and there's a lot of things that you can fall back on trying to remember and some of them I don't no. uh, I speak to Norm regularly and Norm remembers literally everything he's like the gaffer and Norm's stories of the gaffer are fantastic but I don't remember as much as Norm so obviously you'll probably know more because you've read up on stats and everything else more than I do <laughs> when um, Frank left you moved into that kind of different era what was it like when who came in after Frank oh, my mind's gone blank oh Harry came in yeah I mean yeah. he was another character he had a lot of success yeah. what, was, what was he like Harry was on? one of these managers who got teams out of the championship yeah. or, or the old first division that it was uh, again he set up a team really really well uh, we had the nucleus of a really good side already mm. and brought in some additional people uh, but then we got out of that and it was hard again in the Premier League and, and Harry was when I left uh, in 99 when I was told I wasn't really needed anymore mm-hmm. I sent an SOS out to Harry who was at Barnsley mm. and said Harry I'm not wanted around here anymore can I come up for a month on loan so I went on loan for a month to Barnsley in 99 the early 2000 and then we got to the uh, playoff final that year we got beat by Ipswich in the Premier League playoff final mm. but again Harry was really good to me uh, set teams up well and he's one of these people who can get people out of that league into the main league did it hurt the way you left Forest because you know yourself Ian Woe and a couple of that generation you were you know you were shoved out really weren't you yeah we were probably the end of the line shall we say Uh, and David Platt had obviously come in and his remit was probably to build something that he wanted and we didn't fit fit purpose which is fine he did it in a very honourable way and said listen if you can find yourself a club you can leave now uh, which I did but uh, no I I had 14 really good years there and at, at some point people leave football clubs mm. it's very rare that somebody goes from being 16 to 35 just playing at one football club all their life it would have been a dream but it wasn't you know and I had two and a half really good years at, at Barnsley uh, then I went to Grimsby went to Burton Albion and played mm. Ilkeston 
and stop playing myself. So I don't really miss playing because I chose to stop playing myself when I got to age of 36. Just kind of the lastly on your career at Forest, history's really harsh on Platt in terms, well, not harsh necessarily, how fans judge him. He's not, not liked. You listen to a few players... Uh, talk about afterwards they talk about well he was a great coach he brought new methods in he was popped ahead of his time in that but he wasn't necessarily the best manager I mean what are your kind of recollections of uh, I completely agree I thought he was one of the best players that we had in training even though he's the manager I don't think he played himself enough when he probably should have his Mm. coaching methods were fantastic the first pre-season we had were were way above anything I've ever done we were working from heart rate monitors yeah Uh, he brought in uh, proper nutritionists you know we all sat down to eat at lunchtime for some really good meals nobody went home anymore they just stopped for lunch at work uh, but like I say is some of his management um, decisions on how he spoke to people in my eyes weren't great mm. but you know that, that's him as a person uh, and like I say he did the honourable thing with me and let me go and move on to new things what was it like pulling on a different I mean Barnsley playing red but what was it like putting on a different red shirt for after all those years for that first time yeah, it was strange yeah. it was strange obviously driving you know I wasn't just driving across Nottingham anymore I was going on the motorway to get to Barnsley mm. uh, but I knew some people up at Barnsley already obviously the manager was a, was a big part of why I went there uh, but no for two and a half years I really enjoyed my time up there still speak to people up there and it's a really good club mm-hmm. I remember that playoff final against Ipswich yeah. you got kind of blown out of the water in the end didn't you was that, in the uh, end we went one over scored a penalty yeah. we missed a penalty just before half time uh, and Royster was it Royster scored a hat trick or something like that I remember uh, no I think Tony Mowbray scored I think Jono played in that game wasn't yeah. it? David Johnson you know Jim McGilton and all that mm. kind of and Mark Venus uh, yeah it was it was a bit of a tough one to take really and I played alongside Chris Morgan who was you know played a long a long time at, at Barnsley he looks a bit scary Chris Morgan is scary he's still scary now he's probably <laughs> yeah. the hardest handshake I've ever had in my life <laughs> Uh, but he said, you know, after that, he spoke to me after the game and said, how do you recover from something like this? Mm. I said, you'll learn from it. You know, he said, remember, just remember how this feels and, and you'll grow from it from there. And he had a really good career. Mm. Mm. Do you think, because you played so long at the top, a bit like Steve Bruce and never played for England, you played under 21s. Do you think you perhaps like, you were a bit unlucky in that sense not to get closer? No, not at all. People have asked me this before. I said, you know, were you unlucky not to play for England? No, because they were better players than me. Mm. You know, you talking Steve Bruce who didn't get an England cap. And yeah. myself, you know, we had Tony Adams, Terry Butcher, Des, for example, you know, all better than myself. Mm. Uh, so no, I was really lucky to captain the under 21s and have 13 caps for England at that level. And, you know, I'm fortunate to do that. So, no, I, I don't feel like I've missed out at all. You still have all those caps tucked away somewhere at home. Then. I don't have any. My parents have them all. I don't no. have anything at home. Uh, I, had this, I did a podcast with Matt Ford uh, for Reservoir Red Dogs, and he was on about, why don't you have anything hanging up? Shirts yeah. and things. Because so, well, when I get home on me, you know, when my kids were little, they don't look at the shirts and say, oh, my daddy's a footballer. It's just mm-hmm. my dad. I'm like, I need feeding. I need to go out. I need to do this. So I have nothing at home which resembles anything that I, what I was. You know, yeah. It's what I was then. It's not who I am now. So were you someone who went home after a win or a loss and you properly parked football at the front door and then it was just completely yes. back to normal? Yeah, yeah. You're back, you, know, you finish on a Saturday, you go home. Whether you go out with teammates for dinner on a Saturday night, you still talk about the game. But Sunday was normal. Mm. You know, we had, we had kids, uh, myself and Kerry. Uh, I'm back to work on Monday morning. It all mm. and, and the ro- the cycle starts again. So you play kind of the last few years. You say you, you, know, you went to Grimsby, you went to Burton. Was that a desire to keep playing? Then you want, even though you were dropping uh, down the league. I don't know if it was a desire. 
people just didn't renew my contract at the end of the year, so I had to go <laughs> find something else. So after after Barnsley, I went to Grimsby for a season, uh, and then I only had a season at Grimsby. Uh, went to Burton Albion with Nigel Clough, mm. which was part time. They were playing in what is now you know the conference. Uh, so that was just two nights a week, and I find I found really bizarre having nothing to do during the day. Mm. Uh, and then I had a year at Burton. Nigel again wanted to go younger. Yeah. And, you know, I was thirty five. And then I had a year at Ilkeston Town. I finished playing with Phil Stant. Mm. Got promotion, got to 36. I wasn't going to get through a season without struggling with my back because I'd had a back problem for years. Uh, so I just decided to stop playing. It was a whole lot easier. And like I say, I don't miss it because I've chosen you know, to stop that feeling of wanting to play on a Saturday afternoon. I don't miss that at all. Did you wouldn't have played in the Man United Cup tie for Burton then? That was no. We year. lost to Hartlepool in the first round proper when I was at, uh, oh, no. I was at Burton. That was live on the TV. <laughs> I was at Burton. It was great. That's a good club, though, isn't it? Because I used to work around that area. They've got a, a great chairman. And would you would you play at the Pirelli? Ben Robinson. Yeah, yeah, would you yeah, play at the ben. Pirelli? Was that building? No, that was before. We so played at the one Park. before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we said turn up on a Tuesday and Thursday night with Gary and Bing and Garns and just do training sessions like I used to when I was a kid with his dad mm. you know it was like going back 20 years but like I say Nigel's been really successful and he's still doing really well now with them yeah you can't believe that that club's played no. in the championships to keep I, them well, in the championship well, that, is unbelievable like qualifying for the Champions League yeah, you know, yeah. for them you know a small town club like Burton who've got like I say some really good people running it uh, and Nigel's doing a fantastic job again mm-hmm. so when you finished you didn't go straight into coaching did you was there a bit of a there was a, a there was probably or? a six month gap where I did the usual things of when players stopped playing I, I went on holiday at Christmas I'd never been away at Christmas and New Year mm. um, and then got my golf handicap down a bit more and enjoyed doing that but after six months I was bored yeah uh, I didn't know what to do I did a bit of painting and decorating around the house and did it for the people that you know because I had nothing to do. Then my son got involved at Forest with the under-10s, Callum. Uh, and I went to watch him at uh, the Nigel Doty Academy, uh, which was just Wilford Lane then. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, surely there's something I can do to give something back to the game. I asked about how get involved. They said, you have to go away and do your coaching badges. And I was petrified. <laughs> uh, and not done anything You've like that. You've been in a classroom for quite a while. No, no, no. It's been a long, long time. So I went right back to the beginning, did level one. Uh, took my son's uh, B team shall we say at Prairie Celtic for, for half a season and then went through my badges and worked through my academy system at Forest from under 10s right up to under 23s and the first group that I had was with Will Smith uh, Will Smith uh, Will Hughes uh, he was in Jordan Smith was in that group uh, so yeah there's some good players in that group already yeah I mean you look at players you've worked with who are in the side now and players who've gone like Jamal LaSalle and people like that but I mean are they, is a core thing about them like Warhol and Tyler Tyler Walker that they're they're good good well I'm going to say good kids good good men is that a, a fair yeah, thing they, to say about the, them? the academy system at Forest was fantastic I mean, they they brought up people really well and they were looked after really well and it's all about respect and hard work mm. and especially people like Joe who came into this late Joe Warhol spoke at base for United just after Christmas because we have six month appraisals at base for just like you do at other academies. And I found Joe's appraisal among, among my records on my computer and I printed it off. And some of the kids were disappointed in their grades at Basewoods Academy saying, I've only got C stroke Ds where there's room for improvement. So I contacted Joe and said, listen, Joe, I've seen your appraisal and you're full of Cs and Ds in your mm. appraisal. Will you come and just speak to our kids and tell them what it entails to be a professional footballer? 
so Joe ain't course of all one because he's a good person and two I've known him for a long time and he just told people how it is and what they've got to do to try and get a career out of football because I don't think the kids at Baseford one know who I am mm. because of uh, the age discrepancy between the two of us and two they don't believe me what it takes to be a footballer <laughs> uh, so Joe just came in and spoke and spoke really really well uh, and that's what kind of person Joe is and Tyler's exactly the same mm. obviously he's done his apprenticeship now say in lower leagues and come back and scored the goal against Leeds which I was delighted for him uh, but they're just really really good kids well young men now they're mm. not kids anymore did you well even though you gave Joe C's and D's did you see a, a pro in there I was going you probably did with Tyler sounds like he was always well Tyler had a break Tyler was I think he was in the academy early then he had a break for a couple of years went to play for All Whites for Clifton mm. All Whites then came back into it later so Joe and Tyler were both in the same one of 15s group that I was coaching and Tyler at times played centre back he was fantastic at centre back and mm. Joe's always had the the biggest heart, Joe. You know, I think he realizes that hard work over talent, you know, will work. You know, will work as well. So I'm not saying Joe's not talented, by the way. I'm just yeah. saying that Joe's work ethic is fantastic, and he's prepared to do whatever it takes to gain a, a really, really good career. You know, mm. going up to Rangers, I think, stood him in good stead as well. Uh, but no, Joey's been fantastic this year, and he's, you know, the, and the, he's rightly getting really, really good uh, ratings. Do players have to have that kind of? inner steel and maturity and be good people to make it or can people who are just can someone make it in the game just based on talent do you think or I not I think some can I think we're very fortunate if you can just make it on talent uh, but if you are a really good character in the first place you stand a good chance of succeeding mm. uh, you know having a good work ethic in the first place is vitally important and both of those have that so how did you end up uh, actually in management from, from coaching how did what was the route to that well, I was at Nottingham Forest. Uh, I was coaching under 18s uh, under Nick Marshall uh, with Ian Jess and Steve Sutton. I uh, got promoted to the under 23s when Jesse left. Uh, Jesse went on a sabbatical and went travelling the world. I don't think he's come back yet. Uh, uh, so I was doing the 23s. Uh, and then I was obviously working under Billy Davis when, the, when he was at the club for the second time. And I didn't see myself having a coaching pathway to get around the first team. So the assistant manager and academy manager's role came up at Ilkeston Football Club, as it was then, mm. uh, just up the road from where I am. And it was something I was interested in just to try and cut my teeth in doing what I'd been involved in for so long. Uh, so I went up there with Kevin Wilson, uh, ran a really, really good academy programme, uh, which Shay Adams came from, funnily enough, who's now mm -hmm. playing Premier League. Uh, so it was a good academy system. Uh, the first team did really well. We lost in the playoff final of the Northern Premier League, which Baseford are in now. Uh, and for the, after the, the year, the second year, I left there and became assistant manager at Nuneaton in the Conference North mm. after they just got relegated out of the, uh, the National League. Uh, and then after that, I got offered the role at Notts County, as well as being the Ilkeston Town Manager. So it, it was a roller coaster from being so steady for so long to the turnover of clubs in you know in the last four or five years has, has been a bit mad, really. And now I find myself for the, for the first time proper running an academy and managing the first team of Baseford United. Non-league football's a bit mad in general. I think you're probably lucky where you are at base for now to have a stable club, but you've worked at some clubs where, you know, the proverbials hit the fan and there's some yeah. odd characters around and you have to swim against the tide the whole time. I mean, what, what's that like to, to be in amongst that mess? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, there's, there's people who well, run football clubs, like I say, again, have their own ideas and how they want things to be done, whether it's through what they've done in their own business or how they do things in their own personal life. Some things you don't agree with, but sometimes you have to bite your tongue and get on with it because you're employed by somebody. 
you know, I was at Ilkeston Football Club when, you know, that went out of business. Mm. Uh, I was in the changeover of ownership at obviously Nuneaton Borough as it was then. Mm. Uh, Nuneaton Town, sorry, as it was then. Now it's Nuneaton Borough. Uh, went to Ilkeston Town when Mr. Hardy was involved there. I was at Notts County when Mr. Hardy was there. And they were entertaining times, shall we say. <laughs> and now you're at Baseford. Um, and you've got a very, ambi- like Alan Hardy, a very ambitious chairman. But he seems like he... Um, he knows what he's doing, but he set you a hell of a job. You know, you, it's clear he, you know they're ambitious. They want to get promotion. What's it like working at Baseford these days? It's really good. You know, the chairman's been really good to me. The chairman's obviously taken the club from being uh, at rock bottom when he took it over himself, uh, and the club have got five promotions in seven years from various managers. And he's set as the task of trying to get into National League in the next four years, which is a big ask because obviously the leagues are really tough that we're in. Uh, but the infrastructure at Baseford is really, really sound. We've got a state-of-the-art 3G pitch, which the juniors can play on every night. The first team train on, the academy runs uh, on the daytimes there. And we have three outfield grass pitches and a floodlit training pitch. So the facilities down there are unbelievable. And the, the chairman's a really, really good man with the club at, you know, at the forefront of everything he does. And you've gone about building a side, you know, that's lo- a local core with some names that Forest fans will know, like Matt Thornhill. Yeah. Hardcore fans will know, like James Reed and people like that. And yeah. you've got some decent players there. We have. We've got, you know, I've, I took my son from Alfreton, who's contacts about Alfreton, who's playing in the Football League two years ago with Peterborough. Mm-hmm. Jack Thomas, who's playing the Football League with Mansfield Town. Uh, we've got people who've played at high levels in the uh, Conference North. And, you know, and the majority of these people have been together for a while now and they got promotion last year, uh, sorry, two years ago out the Evo Stick South to get into the Northern Premier League. Uh, we sat just behind the leaders at the moment who are South Shields who are full-time and have a fan base of 1,500 plus every mm-hmm. week at home. So it's tough to compete, but, you know, we're we're having a go. What's it like working with your son? Does he call you gaffer and all that kind no, of stuff? We, we, Does anyone call you gaffer? Do you insist on no, that? No, I don't. They call me Chet. So I'm not. I'm not big on. They can come whatever they want within reason. Within reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's not. There's not much shouts of dad going across the dressing no. room. It's not something that we've spoken about. But I've worked. Obviously, worked with him at two clubs before, and then obviously he went to the football league for two years, uh, and it was it was good watching from afar and how much he developed. But it's something that's not really mentioned. The, the dad scenario. I think the players give him more of a a hard time than me what was it like growing up with or him growing up because he had the same ambitions as you and you know how do you handle that as a father in terms of keeping his feet on the ground because only like 1% of players make it he's done well to play for, you know, to yeah. get signed by Peterborough uh, being a footballer yourself were you kind of well placed to keep his feet on the ground do you think uh, I let him try to get on with it as much as I could but I think the advice that I gave me Again, it was one of those things, oh, it's just my dad. Mm. Uh, you know, when he spoke to his other managers and he says, he asked my opinion on something, so I, I give him my opinion and he didn't always agree with it. I said, well, go and speak to your manager. So he went to speak to his manager. He rang me afterwards and said, what did the manager said?" He said, yeah, what you said. <laughs> so, so I've got a bit of experience in what we were doing. Uh, but when he first started playing, I was probably a little bit too harsh on him because I didn't want to be seen as giving him a free ride mm. uh, but I've got a lot better now because obviously his reputation speaks for itself now and he doesn't really have to prove anything to anybody else just to himself do you think he'll get back at the ladder he's obviously talented do you think he can get I don't know it's, in, it's what he wants to do you know he's having a really good season this year at, at Baseford uh, he's putting some really good performances uh, but no I don't know he's honest so I, if anybody comes calling you know, something between myself the chairman and Callum but the mm. uh, no, I don't know what he wants to do. So in terms of you as the manager, do you take 
can you take a little bit of Brian Clough? I probably guess you probably can't, but can you take a bit from Harry Bassett? I think, I think and a you bit can take else? some of Brian Clough on how he treated people. Yeah. The first things first, he treated people as as uh, human beings. Mm. And I'd like to think that my management skills are good. You know, I've learned a lot from him. You take, you know, you take some structure that uh, Harry did within the training session as well, which I really liked. I like the structure. And you take, take some of Frank on, you know, and how we develop in the team and everything else. And you take some of David Platt as well, I, I presume. Yeah. Uh, so you take a little bit of everything. I think it's just it just all goes into a big pot, but you have to come out as yourself. I don't think you can mm -hmm. try to be anybody else. I think you learn from experiences and gain from uh, experiences that you've had and try and implement onto, onto other people now. I'll go back on a bit of a tangent and come back to that because when you look at Frank, he came in after Brian Clough and he did an incredible job because you look at Man United and Arsenal now and how hard it is, you know, when, you know, the emperor moves on and the new king comes in type thing. How, how did Frank do that, do you think, at Forest? Uh, by being himself, I think, for one and signing good players for two. Uh, and having people around him that you know knew how Frank wanted to work. Obviously, Frank was had been in management and everything else before, but this was a big step, and there were some big shoes to fill. And I, you know, from what he did, he, he made it his own uh, for the time that he was there. And like I say, good signing, good players, and having a good formula. Uh, and playing well normally helps. Yeah. <laughs> so back to yourself as a manager. Do you find you can talk to players now the same way your manager spoke to you? Or has society changed? Have players changed? Do you have to... Because it's kind of the stereotypical thing you have to handle players with kick gloves these days. Do you think that's fair or not? I think our level's a little bit less prima donna than, yeah. you know, from the Premier League especially. You know, I do speak to players one-on-one -on -one and I do speak to players what I class as correctly. Every now and again, there are some expletives if a half-time situation comes around and things need fixing, but I'm generally not that person. Uh, I think the biggest change we had was, obviously, when I was an apprentice, you can't do what you were doing then if to an apprentice. Yeah. Uh, obviously, now we have a code of conduct and everything at Baseford, bringing the academy and our coaches adhere to as well, that you're protective of the, of the kids that are in there there wasn't much protection back in the uh, mid 80s shall we say mm. um, a few kind of quick fire-ish ones to finish you mentioned Stan was the best player you played with I mean who was like just the maddest player you played with at Forest the maddest player because people oh, talk wow. about I mean Andy Johnson would have been maybe before you talk about his Andy, names like that Tank was crackers as well Alan yeah. Rogers was crackers <laughs> yeah. yeah you know I see Tank on uh, social media and I've heard Tank on podcasts as well mm. Tank was crackers. Yeah. Yeah. And together they were worse. Mm. Yeah. Um, best <laughs> best character you played with or best mate at the club and that kind of uh, thing? Well, my best mate was probably Colin Cooper. Yeah. Uh, a big character, Mark Crossley. Yeah. Still now, still speak to Mark, still speak to Colin. Uh, yeah. So probably best mate, Colin, big character, Norm. Yeah. Uh, do you keep in touch with a lot of those former teammates no. or do you drift apart? Not really. We drift apart. People go and do their own things. I, I, every now and again, I catch up with Colin, catch up with Woney. Uh, mm. Obviously, he was doing really well at Burnley with Daichi. Uh, so, obviously, saw, saw Norm last year because I was across at Knotts with him. Yeah. And now I see Norm on his walks, which are brilliant, on social media. Uh, so, they're the ones I probably speak to the most. Do you think if you were all lumped in a room together, would it all be like it was yesterday? In Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we get together occasionally. I think... Uh, also, I speak to Gemmo a lot. Uh, and Gemmo, I think they're trying to organise an anniversary for the Nigel Jemson Cup final against Oldham. As it's known. In, as it's known <laughs> in 1990. So if we all do get together, you know, one of those kinds of evenings, there's not much chat to the wife, shall we say. We're normally just together and, and mucking about as normal. What was your career high point, do you think? 
Uh, oh, wow. Captain in the club yeah. in the Premier League was one. Uh, making my debut, obviously, is another one. Uh, and Captain England of 21s is probably, you know, in a different tiering system, maybe Captain in my country was mm. probably number one. Low point? I mean, I guess leaving would be one of them, obviously. Relegation? Yeah. First relegation. Leaving Leaving's not that bigger bind for me you know like I say it was inevitable at some point but the first relegation was really tough was that a big shock because you know you started that season no one would have predicted uh, that Forest would have been down it just got gradually worse I think the league the league changed football changed and we didn't adapt mm. you know as quickly as you should have done uh, and like I said the year after when Frank came in we adapted very very well uh, so probably the low point is the first relegation yeah last one do you wish that you could play at the top level now because I'm sure you made a good living but the money in the game now is just mental do you kind of sit there with a little bit of a, not annoyance I don't know what the right word would be but do you think oh why couldn't I have played at this time absolutely yeah, yeah I, I think I'd be uh, telling porkies if I said no uh, yeah the, envious probably yeah. yeah envious probably played 20 years too early uh, but like I say uh, I had a good career uh, played some really good football clubs played with a lot of good people and uh, you know I don't I wouldn't swap it for anything but these people are really fortunate what they do now and management's it for you you think this is this is what you love management, management. Co- management and coaching this is your for me thing. now yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I think I'm too old to play now much. <laughs> but I mean for the rest of you you'll stay in football for good now as a manager that's your uh, ambition you think yeah I think so yeah I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now and like I say and I'm, I'm learning uh, as I go along still uh, obviously at a new club and what our new ambitions are and but like I say, stability and uh, reassurance that the club will survive is, uh, is our main focus. Cool. Well, we wish you all the best, Steve. Thank you very Thank much. much. Cheers. Thanks very much, everyone. Um, if anyone wants to leave us a review, that would really help on iTunes. More stars, the better. Five would be good. Four, we'd, we'd take. We probably don't want it too many lower than that, but it does make a big difference. YouTube, uh, subscribe, give us a rating, give us some co- good comments. The comments from the first episode were really good, so we're really grateful for that. So, yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, I'm not sure who will be in the chair, but we're really grateful for Steve and thanks for watching or listening everyone goodbye thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red a Nottingham Forest podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode thanks for listening